I feel like this is just like kind of regression where you're punishing your past self for being what you perceive to be such a loser. So you're taking it out on the song. You're a rich girl and you're gone too far cause you're back to another episode of Lyrics for Lunch, the show that lets you check out any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm one of your hosts. This is a show where we do deep dives into the not-so-famous songs, not-so-famous stories of famous songs. Of, I fucked that up. We, we tell again. stories about Try songs. Try this again. Start we're, over. We're like if a Wikipedia article could be mean to you. <laughs> Are we mean? I mean, well, I mean to you. Oh, to me? Yeah, to, to Lindsay. We're <laughs> like, this is a show where it's like a Wikipedia K-hole for your ears. Oh, perfect. I love that one. <laughs> it's pretty good, right? That was I good. thought of that on my walk earlier. <laughs> and I'm joined this and every week by the one, the only, Glenn Fry. Hello, it's me, Lindsay Tucker. I will be talking about Glenn Fry today. How are you doing this week, Lindsay? I'm good, you know, uh, I'm fine. Things are good, you know? It's uh, sunny out in Denver, and... There you go. That's all you need. How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. You know, it's the time of year where you should be not stressed, but you're still stressed and doing a bunch of work. Oh, it's the... right before the holidays, it's, like, always so stressful. I hate it. Before we get started today, we have a, a little a little bit of mailbag from listener Sky Mazeroski. Sky, you might uh, remember, is the person who corrected me saying that it was uh, not Neil Young's nose that was covered in cocaine, mm-hmm. or it was not Bob Dylan's nose that was covered in cocaine. It was Neil Young's. Sky writes in on Instagram, been through a whole bunch of lyrics for lunch and ran across my mailbag call out the other day loving the show thanks sky (laughs) i don't know if that was necessary but yes i just like sky sky's sky's a good dude all right sky you're a good excellent drummer excellent drummer thanks for listening to the show i wanted on record that Lindsay did not care about your shout out sky and i did (laughs) all right what are we talking about today Today we're talking about the Eagles hit. I don't know if it was a number one hit. A, 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 a law, six minute and 42 second long hit. I don't know if it's actually that long. Hotel California. It was a number one, yes. Which I never realized it was so long until it's I so tried long. to uh, listen to this other version of it. I don't want to give too much away. And I was like, I the, can't. This uh, is too yeah, long. It's 6.30. <laughs> All right. Well, six minutes and 30 seconds. Here we go. Uh, Hotel California, the six minute and 30 second masterpiece came from the Eagles fifth studio album, which was released in December of 1976. Also, I want to say this was a listener request from my friend Shannon, friend of the show. Thank you, Shannon, for this. Oh, you're allowed to shout out your friends. I'm not allowed to shout out (laughs) Sky Mazeroski. Um, Sky's already had a shout out, and this is a listener request, which needs acknowledgement. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks for listening. Hotel California, the album, is one of the best-selling albums of all time. 
It's been certified 26 times platinum in the U.S. and has sold more than 32 million copies worldwide. That's so many copies. So many. Um, And critics panned it at the time, criticizing it for being too polished. You know, the Eagles had more of like a kind of like country-ish, rugged tone when they came out. That's interesting because I, as a person born after 1976, like... Can oh, like I only associate the Eagles with with Hotel California. That's their sound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what about um, Take It Easy? I love Take It Easy. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford, slowing down to take a look at me. Okay, so fans obviously disagreed with the critics who came around eventually because they're sure. little, you know, you know what they are. Um, so yeah, the, the critics. T- <laughs> The title track was released in February of 77 and was on the Hot 100, Billboard's Hot 100, for 19 weeks, and it peaked at number one. And although the album won a Grammy Award for Record of the Year in 1978, the band wasn't there to accept it. Why not? Uh, Well, according to The Hollywood Reporter, they didn't want to attend the awards if they weren't going to win, so they just didn't come. That's like... (laughs) bad sportsman i think awards are stupid in general but that's bad sportsmanship yeah i mean they've made other comments that kind of make sense like you know a competition to see who's the best is stupid something along those sure. lines Th- um, that i agree with <laughs> so yep they didn't go um they did later accept it oh, i lost my note but uh, they they played a tribute to the late grand Glenn Fry, spoiler alert, he died later, and maybe it was he died later. or something. Uh, 2007. I don't know. In the 2000s, Fry dies. The remaining no, Eagles. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. Glenn Fry died in 2016. 2016. I said 2016 or 2007. So it's 2016. They're doing a tribute at the Grammys to Glenn Fry with Jackson Brown. And then during the commercial break, they got ambushed into accepting their 1978 award. Someone just like had it in the in the closet and was like, here, fucking take this. Yeah, like came in from the wing and was like, it's the best record of all time. Like I went, like you I need left this. my crock pot at my friend Matt's house. Oh, and he yeah. made you take it back. <laughs> Yeah, take this. <laughs> You're taking it. <laughs> I can relate to that. I hate shit hanging around, especially from 1978. A Greatest Hits album collection was released earlier that year, uh, uh, the same year as Hotel California, and had become their first number one record. So before Hotel California even came out, they already had a Greatest Hits collection. I, I, I don't, I don't dig on these greatest hits collections <laughs> things man hotel california was the zenith of the eagles said fry in 1992 in that what we had to say came together with our learning of how to make records sure right so so this polished production value that the uh that the critics railed against that was like a feature not a bug right So, from Rolling Stone, Hotel California drew heroic sales figures and critical plaudits in equal measure and affirmed the band's shift from laid-back country-tinged pop act to major players in the rock and roll fast lane. The rich lyrics, both introspective and allegorical, had fans pondering their true meaning for decades to come. Was Hotel California about a mental institution, drug addiction, a feud with Steely Dan, Satanism? 
A feud with Steely Dan. Uh, yep. We'll get to that later. Should I tell everyone who's in the Eagles? Are we good there? Please tell us who's in the Eagles. Because I, okay. I only know a couple of them. So Eagles members, according to Google, Don Henley, you know that one. Mm-hmm, guitar, singing. They have like three guitars, though. Yes, because they had Fry, who is credited only as harmonica on Google, but I know he played guitar and sang. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Joe Walsh. Joe Walsh. Also played guitar. Google's saying he was a keyboardist. (laughs) Okay. Um, Vince Gill, no credits. No idea what Vince was doing. He's just there. He's just there. Bass? Um, We have Timothy B. Schmidt on bass, but I think he was a replacement for someone. Oh, Vince Gill is also a guitarist. So Randy Meisner was a person. Bernie Leiden, 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 Loden, Deacon Fry, Don Felder. Did, These people. Did you, did you really just do the, in the intro to, at some point? To pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> yes. Leiden, Leiden, Loden. So uh, yep. There you have it. Those are some of the members of the Eagles. And if you want to know more, turn to your trusty pocket computer. That that I feel somehow less confident that I know the members <laughs> of the Eagles. All you really need to know is Fry and Henley, I think. Yes, and and they Felder. were they had like a feud at some point, right? Felder and Fry did. Okay. And Felder, according to Google, just played the mandolin. Also, not true at all. Jesus um, fucking Christ! <laughs> it's time. It is the time. Great to listen to the six minute thirty second. Hotel California. Do you want to know my 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 story about Hotel California? Aviv, tell me what you think about uh, Hotel California. So, what's your experience uh, with the song? I have a I have kind of an embarrassing experience with the song. I, in like 2001, like many 14 to 16 year old boys, became very enamored with a movie called The Big Lebowski. <laughs> Which, sure. which features which features uh, a Gypsy Kings version of this song. So, you know, but budding Napsterite. I like listened to this song a bunch. I was just learning how to play music and learned how to play the song and somehow convinced a handful of people to like play it at like a talent show in in a high school high talent school. show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Including an English teacher who's going to sing it. And he like, he was like in a rock band when he was younger. And so like, he like, okay. sang, 
he like sang like smells like teen spirit and stuff at talent shows i don't like this like, at all i hate this yeah and so it was me and i can't remember who was on the drums or the bass mr behe was gonna sing his name was jerry behe 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 friend of the show <laughs> and there's this girl named Alex Kopanenko who's like really great at the guitar. And I was going to be like the rhythm guitarist. And I was just like, oh, just like solo for six minutes. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, and it just like kind of fell apart. I like really didn't know what I was doing. But this would have been like my first live performance ever, I think. Really? And yeah, and it just fell apart. I just ne- it never did it because I was too embarrassed to like put it together. Kind of like but a metaphor for your life. Kind of like a metaphor for my entire life. <laughs> but uh, I, I forced myself to learn the kind of very systematic, arpeggiated solo at the end, right? Like the bitter dip, bitter dip, bitter dip, bitter dip. Like a, yep. I, I taught myself. I, I had my guitar teacher like teach me that, and uh, could play it for a long time. I don't think I can play it anymore, but. Well, fun fact, Joe Walsh came up with that dual guitar descending arpeggio part. Mm -hmm. And in 1999, it was voted the best guitar solo of all time by readers of Guitarist. Just that part or the whole thing? The coda at the end. Yeah, okay. So I learned how to play the the coda, (laughs) which was, I guess, rated the greatest guitar solo of all time. It's tough go. because I, I can no longer listen to it because I listened to it so many times as a kid learning it. I can just see you being like all angsty in your bedroom like, yes, <laughs> I'll get you. Yeah, not great. <laughs> Were, twerk great.
Hotel California story is that my friends were getting married on Santa Monica Pier. So I was looking for a cheap hotel and I found this Hotel California. Ooh. And I was like, oh, done. That'll be super fun. And I stayed there and it was a complete shithole. There was like pubes in the (laughs) shower. And I got in and I had like maybe an hour, like got off the train, like took an Uber. There were pubes in the shower. (laughs) Get to the hotel. There's pubes in the shower. I like had to brush myself and then get back down to the beach. And yeah, the hotel was fucking disgusting. But they had like movie posters in every room. I don't know why. Great. That has nothing to do with the song. Um, but mine was uh, what's that movie with Kim Basinger? Nine and a half weeks. No. The sex movie. Nope. I like Confidential. Yeah, mine was that. Ah, love that. Like so, yep, that's my story. All right. So nothing to do with the song then. No, but when you do the research, people are like, there actually is no hotel called Hotel California, and it's like that's incorrect. There is a really shitty hotel named Hotel California. Do I think the Eagles wrote about it? No, I think they named their shitty hotel after the song. After the Eagles song, probably. (laughs) But the place fucking sucks. But it does exist. Well, it isn't on a dark desert highway. We know that for sure. All right. So it all started with Glenn Fry wanting to do something strange just to see if he could. Okay. I hate this already. Go on. <laughs> he wrote the lyrics with Don Henley and Don Felder. And according to the BBC, Don Henley had been playing around with the phrase Hotel California for some time, but it hadn't made its way into a song yet. Don Felder was tasked with recording instrumental snatches onto a tape and submitting them to Fry and Henley in hopes of their approval. He'd been doing this from his home in Topanga Canyon, but while on tour, he took a call from his wife, Susan, who had recently given birth. It was a short call. We're moving, she said. She'd been relaxing in their garden, and she noticed that the blanket she was lying on with the baby was next to a nest of rattlesnakes. So Susan and son. Susan Felder. Felder. And she has their baby with them. And she calls him. She calls Felder to say we're moving while he's on tour. Felder joins them. And that evening he he begins working on the song that was suggested that he work on, which is Hotel California. So according to the BBC, a snake in an apparently idyllic garden is the kind of on-the-nose image that would have fitted right in with what his rhythmic track was to become. The chords he strummed followed a pattern closer to flamenco than to rock. When he first played it to the band, they perceived it as a, quote, bizarre mix of musical influences, and the song's working Mm -hmm. title became Mexican Reggae. Yeah, especially because in the verses, there's that, that like, which is lame. (laughs) Which is lame. Um, I feel like this is just like some kind of regression where you're punishing your past self for being what you perceive to be such a loser. So you're taking it out on the song. Um, Probably. But for uh, (laughs) listeners who are who are like Aviv hates music, you're you're in for you're in for a big one this time. You love this song. I did at one point love this song. And then I, I think I burnt myself out on it. The connection that I always made musically was not to Mexican, the flamenco thing, clearly because of the Gypsy Kings version, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. But um, it, it's it's more like Pachelbel's canon to me. 
because there's like a very specific pattern that the chords make that is not the pattern of Pachelbel's Canon, but it's like a similar kind of like, oh, all you need to do is these eight chords over and over and over again, and then it, they lead in, it leads back into itself, and then it repeats forever. So if you learn it once, you can learn it for you know it forever. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Great. So when the band started recording in LA, the first version of Hotel California was in the wrong key for Henley's raspy vocals. Quote Felger, he sounded like Barry Gibb in this high voice. Amazing. So Felder transposed the song from E minor to B minor, which is, quote, not a particularly guitar-friendly key, but it was perfect no, it is for not. his voice. B minor. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, great. According to the BBC, a second recording turned out to be too fast, so the band recorded again in Miami, fine-tuning the instrumentation and the lyrics in the process. When we recorded it the third time, that was the charm. Producer Bill... I really couldn't even pretend to pronounce this guy's name. Sizmizik. Excuse me? <laughs> there is no vowels in it except a sometimes Y to sometimes Ys. <laughs> so... let, let me, let me see, right, just send, send me in the chat. Copy and paste it. Oh. Shizmik. Shizmik. Shizmizik. Shizmizik. Jim, Jim, Jick, Jim, Jick is my guess. The J is silent. What? Do you, there's no J. The S, the S Z Y is like a J sound. Jim, Jick, Jim, Jick, Jim, Jick. Okay, well, producer Bill, last name unpronounceable. I'm saying Jim, Jick. <laughs> Once the basic track had been constructed, it took two days to record the closing guitar solos with Felder and Joe Walsh trading riffs side by side in the control room. It de- it definitely feels like they are. It definitely feels like they are competing. So this feels a little bit relevant to your story. Felder incorrectly assumed they would improvise this section. <laughs> nope. Just like just like I incorrectly assumed Alex Kopanenko would in- yes. improvise this section. Yes. Yes. So- Quote Felder. I still remember Joe- the way she looked at me. No. <laughs> no. Poor dummy. So poor dummy. I think it was in junior. Quote- I think it was in ninth grade. So it was like 1999. <laughs> Quote Felder. Joe and I started jamming, and Don said, "No, no, no, stop it! It's not right." Felder told Music Radar. I said, "What do you mean it's not right?" And he said, "You've got to play it just like the demo." Only problem was that I had done that demo a year earlier. I couldn't even remember what was on it. So we had to call my housekeeper in Malibu, who found the cassette, put it in a ghetto blaster, and played it yep, on the phone, sure. held up to the blaster. We recorded it, and I had to sit in Miami and play exactly what was on that demo. That feels unnecessary, but sure. <laughs> well, it turned out they won the greatest coda of all time by the readers of guitarist i just find that to be such a weird like who cares what the readers of guitarist think but hey i included it kudos where kudos are due oh yeah good good job (laughs) i'm gonna i have band practice today. i'm gonna fucking relearn how to play that coda do it so there have been many theories that contemplate what the song means great do you think it means so I have heard on many occasions that it is about like a like a drugged out 
Satan cult sort of thing where he like goes to the hotel. There's like a cult. It's like this plot of Suspiria. There's like a cult there and like he can't ever leave because there's like sexy ladies and drugs and he's like before he knows it he's like trapped there forever and and i think the like implication in the like kind of junior high school the junior high school version of lyrics for lunch which is like completely unsourced is like and it's real there's like a real cult out there that he experienced (laughs) like it's a true story which clearly is not the case or is it or is it is it is it (laughs) bill jimzik's cult we're gonna find out should we do a dramatic lyric reading yeah i probably don't need the lyrics well every time you say that you're wrong so i'm just gonna i was right once were you all right i'm gonna i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it on a dark desert highway cool wind in my hair warm smell of kalites which i don't know what that is rising up through the air so apparently it's like it means little tails in spanish and people have said that it means like weed maybe Leaves. I think it was like, but then other kind people of okay. are like, you don't smoke weed leaves, you smoke buds. So like, what? I, it also like was okay in the seventies for people to just like make up words and songs, like um the Steve Miller band song, The Joker. He says he speaks from the pompatus of love, which doesn't. That's not. A, I don't know what that is. It's not a word. Uh, warm smell of Kalitas rising up through the air. Up ahead in the distance, I saw a shimmering light. My head grew heavy and my sight grew dim. I had to stop for the night. Are you reading this? No. There she stood in the doorway. I heard the mission bell. And I was thinking to myself, this could be heaven or this could be hell. Then she lit up a candle and she showed me the way. There were voices down the corridor. I thought I heard them say. Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Such a lovely face. Plenty of room at the Hotel California. Any time of year. You can find it here. Uh, she was Tiffany Twisted, right? Her mind is Tiffany Twisted. Her mind is Tiffany Twisted. She's got the Mercedes Benz. She's got a lot of pretty, pretty boys that she calls friends. How they dance in the courtyard. Mm-hmm. Sweet summer sweat. Some dance to remember. Some dance to forget. So I called up the captain. Please bring me my wine. He said, we haven't had that spirit here since 1969. And still those voices are calling from far away. Wake you up in the middle of the night just to hear them say. Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Such a lovely face. Ready a room? (laughs) They living it up. Living it up. Living it up at the Hotel California. What a nice surprise. surprise. Bring your alibis. Bring your alibis. Mirrors on the ceiling, the pink champagne on ice, and she said, we are all just prisoners here of our own device. And in the master's chambers, they gathered for the feast. They stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> uh, shit. Start me off. Help me out. It's the last first line. The last thing I remember. The last thing I remember. The last thing I remember, I was running for the door. I had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax, said the nightman. We're programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> Great. All right. So, 
let's start with the first theory that you you might have smushed some of them together, but we're going to go with the, the Satanism one. Satan, satanic cult. <laughs> yeah. It was 1975, we loved a satanic cult. Oh, yeah. So this is from Open Culture. During the satanic panic of the 1980s, a new breed of witch finder cast a dragnet through pop culture, scooping up songs, artists, and albums that were allegedly part of a demonic conspiracy to corrupt America's youth. One song routinely appearing on such lists, Hotel California by the Eagles. Love it. They were hardly Black Sabbath, but the band's Hotel California was really about Anton LaVey's Church of Satan, it was said. Fuck yeah. So... <laughs> If so, anyone who thinks that all these rock bands are in a conspiracy together to promote Satan has never been in a rock band and tried to organize a meeting with four people. <laughs> which is which I have been waiting. I've waited six weeks at this point to get four people in a room together to like talk about how much we love Satan and remind ourselves how to play our songs. I feel like if you were really into Satan, though, you would be more devoted to getting to your Satan I guess you may, that, that might be true. <laughs> so the theory goes that when founder of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey, opened his church in San Francisco, the eagles were lured in, and the lyrics are about their deal with the devil. Sure. F- fans of this theory say that Anton LaVey started his Church of Satan in a San Francisco, California hotel in 1969. Alluding to the line, we haven't had that spirit here. We haven't had that spirit here. The spirit is LaVey. No, the spirit is Christ. You know, there's no No. Jesus here. Oh, the spirit. We haven't had the spirit here (laughs) since LaVey showed up. Yes. I guess San Francisco is in California. I I always felt this was like a very L.A. song. Mm. Yes. There's no real deserts up in central and northern California. Also, this is just completely false because LaVey founded the Church of Satan in 1966. He also played the devil in Roman Polanski's 1968 film, Rosemary's Baby. This I knew. And a year earlier, he performed a satanic wedding and baptized his daughter in the Church of Satan in 1967. Rock and roll. And apparently one of his most notable followers followers was Sammy Davis Jr., which I did not know. That, that rules. I just love that we're worried about like Ronnie James Dio and Ozzy Osbourne. It's like noted Church of Satan member Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> right? I think we need to do an episode. I, I and cover the I truth. <laughs> I definitely um, stole uh, his autobiography from a diner once. It's called "Yes We Can: The Sammy Davis Jr. Story." Yeah, amazing. So you're on that episode. I gotta, I gotta dig it up. <laughs> So after LeVay's death in 1997, his family told the Washington Post that his brand of Satanism was not about evil or animal and child sacrifices. It was more about rational free thinking and a disdain for the hypocrisy he believed corrupted Christianity. Correct. He preached living for the day instead of for an afterlife that nobody can prove exists, they said. He did not believe in the devil as an anthropomorphic anthropomorphic sorry i took my glasses off anthropomorphic being with horns and a tail but rather as a archetype conjured up by mankind um this is also very interesting to me which is why i included it his family members said that he died on october 29th but for some reason his death certificate listed him as having died on october 31st i can't imagine why (laughs) 
deepening the mystery, the family said that they kept his death secret for a week in order not to distract his followers over their most important holiday season. I fucking love this. (laughs) You've convinced me I'm currently a Satanist. (laughs) But fans of the Satanic Panic claim that LaVey's story has been shoehorned into the Hotel California lyrics. No. So I called up the captain, please bring me my wine. Panickers claim that the Eagles were referring to the blood of Christ, symbolically portrayed in communion rituals as wine. How does that sound shoehorned? (laughs) More Satanism theories from fan blog Random Variables. Oh, good. The master referred to in the lyrics could be referencing Anton LaVey, leader of the Church of Satan and supposed owner of the Satanic Worship Center. We already knew that one. Number two, the lyric, this could be heaven or this could be hell, sets a religious tone and invokes a feeling of moral ambiguity, as one might feel when being tempted. I don't want to like encourage this crazy man, but I, I can add to that. If, Go ahead. Once, once, once his theory is done, I can, I can help him out a little bit more. I imagined he was a she, but I don't know why, so... We don't know who oh, they are. I just assume every crackpot on the internet is a man who has never felt the sweet caress of a woman or other man. <laughs> this person is just saying the fan theory is not their own. Oh, okay. They're okay, saying okay. like they're saying like these these, these people the... believe in Satan and they think that this is what the song is about. Copy that. Okay. So I can add to that theory if if you'd Please, like. Please go for it. I would. So the captain Right? In the master's chamber, yada, yada, yada. But I called up the captain. The captain is a euphemism or a code name or whatever for um, L. Ron Hubbard, the Scientology Mm. guy. They call him the captain because there's like this weird kind of nautical thing. And um, he and Anton LaVey were roommates. What? Uh, I think that that's I, I have to I have to look the, I have to fact check this. Okay, sorry. There was there was a there's a there's a, a middle person that I forgot. So Jack Parsons is the is a guy who started the Jet Propulsion Lab, right? And mm-hmm. he was also a member of the Church of Satan. Okay. There's a there's a a book called Sex and Rockets: The Occult World of Jack Parsons. And Parsons claimed to have summoned Satan when he was 13 years old in the late 1920s, yada, 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 right? And then uh, he was roommates with L. Ron Hubbard in Pasadena as he was starting the Jet Propulsion Lab. So JPL was started by a Satanist who was living with L. Ron Hubbard. And then L. Ron Hubbard like stole his boat and his girlfriend. It's like a very bizarre story. But I don't think that LeVay was there. But Crowley, Alistair Crowley lived with them, not, not LeVay, um, who is also like a big black magic Church of Satan guy. This, this one weird. house in Pasadena in the 60s, was, in 60s and 70s was like bizarre. The spirit of Satan right. lived there. I guess so. We're not sure. The Eagles went there. They wrote Hotel California about it. Yeah. We don't know. Ho- sex magic with a K. Parsons and his young girlfriend, whom he'd been dating since she was 15, were both smitten immediately by L. Ron Hubbard when their writer moved in with them. Yikes. Yikes. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Well, no, it was a good transition. 
because the next theory is the lyric, they just can't kill the beast, in which the beast is either Satan, as he is referred to in the Bible, or well-known occult figure Aleister Crowley, who went by the nickname The Beast. Oh, okay. So, so we do have. <laughs> so I'm back. I'm back with <laughs> Aleister Crowley, Jack Parsons, L. Ron mm-hmm. Hubbard. So ca- the captain. So I'm thinking their house is Hotel California. If it's possible, it is. It is like deserty up there. <laughs> Are we ready to move on or not yet? I'm. I'm very ready. Okay. The lyric, what a nice surprise, bring your alibis, which refers to the way many Satanists would lie about their allegiance to the Church of Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a nice surprise that you showed up. I hope that you have an alibi for your friends and family who are not members of the Church of Satan. Ooh. The lyrics, we are all just prisoners here of our own device, and you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave, seem to refer to people who have taken a, blind, a binding oath, which Church of Satan members were rumored to have done. Okay, binding oath. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't be the only time the Eagles had used dark religious themes in their music. One of their other songs is called Have a Good Day in Hell. <laughs> Have a good day um, in hell. <laughs> And they have an album called Hell Freezes Over. That's a whole different thing that I'll bring up later. Hell Freezes Over is after, though. Yeah. One of the most convincing arguments of the Satanism theory involves the imagery on the album jacket itself. In this photo, pay close attention to the middle window sitting above the crowd of people. A small, shadowy figure can be seen overlooking the party. When you take a closer look at it... Oh, well, look at that. Okay, so this is like a a section of the album cover... And there looks to be a woman or beast figure, like, falling slash flying out of this window. And the Eagles say that it is a woman that they hired, but fans of this theory say that it is Anton LaVey. No, certainly not. <laughs> it is not Anton LaVey. He also, also, he's bald. He was bald. He is no longer with us. So wait, but how how like the I'm looking at the album cover and so this the this clip that you sent me is like zoomed in. Way zo- like how fucking zoomed in could this possibly be zoomed in? That much. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like um if the if we're looking at like the album on a 12 inch by 12 inch record sleeve this would compromise maybe a half inch half by a inch. half inch. It's like yeah. so tiny. Correct. And then we're going to look at the back of the album. Uh, the back is just like someone cleaning up? Yeah, is so the back is the okay. same setting as the first photo, mm-hmm. which was full of people. But right. this time, it's, this is empty. Mm-hmm. And there's one person like... Sweeping. Yes. So uh, there are theories that it's a janitor. The first is that he's mm-hmm. actually a dead body being propped up by a mop. That's stupid. That's a stupid theory. Some people Doesn't even take sense. this further, claiming he was sacrificed by LaVey himself. All right. Do people need to touch grass? And then there's another theory that when the band took the photo, they thought they had captured the image of an empty hotel lobby, only this when they got the idiotic. picture developed, they see the image of the janitor appear, making him some kind of ghost. 
No. Also false. N- nonsense. Agreed. The very funny, though. Quick aside about the cover, which shot by David Alexander at the Beverly Hills Hotel on Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Quote, Rolling Stone, when word finally got out about the building's identity, representatives for the luxurious establishment were less than pleased. Quote, as the sales of Hotel California went through the roof, lawyers for the Beverly Hills Hotel threatened a cease and desist action until it was gently pointed out by an attorney that the hotel's request for bookings had tripled since the release of the album. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a nice hotel. I thought it looked kind of familiar. (laughs) So back to Satanism. Oh, I'm glad that we could return to it. Allegedly, there's even more praise for LaVey's teachings if you play the song backwards. Fuck yeah. God, I love backmasking. <laughs> we haven't done a backmasking uh, episode so. in a long time. It's been a while. It's been a while. That's actually the next episode we're going to do is Stained. <laughs> so this is Hotel California reversed for five minutes and 33 seconds. It's really painful. I did not get through all of it and I don't think that we will, but we're going to play with it. So while we listen to this garbage, um, I'm going to do a quick aside on the history of backmasking from Wide Open Country, which is a lifestyle blog for all things country. Hell yeah. <laughs> like many things in rock music, backmasking began with the Beatles. Check. John Lennon and producer George Martin snuck benign hidden messages into at least three songs off 1966's Revolver, Tomorrow Never Knows, I'm Only Sleeping in Rain. This creative wrinkle would later fuel rumors that some later Beatles songs, namely Revolution 9 and its Turn Me On Dead Man surprise, contain backwards messages about Paul McCartney's death and a subsequent cover-up. As rock got heavier in the 70s, Paula's dead hysteria gave way to rumors of subliminal messages from the pits of hell. Stories of Led Zeppelin's 1971 song, Stairway to Heaven, hiding something satanic, here's to my sweet Satan, became prevalent enough that Swan Song Records issued the statement, our turntables only play in one direction, forwards. So fucking stupid. Accusations of satanic messages were also lobbed at the likes of Queen. When played backwards, another one bites the dust, becomes gibberish that halfway resembles it's fun to smoke marijuana. And such classic rock radio mainstays as Cheap Trick, Gonna Raise Hell, Electric Light Orchestra, Eldorado, and Fire on High, Styx, Snowblind, Pink Floyd, Empty Spaces, and in a case that got litigious, Judas Priest, Better By You, Better Than Me. In the 80s, the satanic panic that targeted Dungeons and Dragons, plus the rise of the PMRC and certain heavy metal bands' not-so-secret obsession with Satanism, kept the controversy alive. At this point in the backmasking timeline, what had been interpreted as a few acts with bad intentions or a handful of sonic coincidences was treated like a music industry-wide plot to lead all teenagers astray. I love it. 
And if there's a cynical tone to all of that, it's because compelling fans to ruin records by playing them backwards hardly makes sense as a game plan to convert the masses to Satanism. And if backmasking's a valid way to subliminally sway listeners, then why not sneak in, buy a dozen more copies instead of garbled lines that a few well-intentioned parents, groups, or ministers can twist into referencing Aleister Crowley or another historic boogeyman? I, I don't think that they're well-intentioned, but sure. <laughs> so There's, are you hearing satanic messages right now? I am. But I, after li- after listening to four minutes of Hotel California backwards, I'm ready to go worship Satan right? and buy a dozen more Eagles records. Me too. I am just about Satan right now. <laughs> so what are these satanic messages? I heard none. I heard none. Allegedly, the lyric, wake you up in the middle of the night when played backward, is heard as, yes, Satan organized his own religion. No. And Wrong. then el- elsewhere, it's supposed you're supposed to be able to hear Satan. He hears this. He had me believe. Even if you heard those, even if no. you heard that, incorrect. What? This is all fucking nonsense. This is so stupid. Wait, wait, but tell me the first one again. Like, like, like the letters don't make sense. Wake you up in the middle of the night. Yes, Satan organized his own religion. There's no G sound. Nope. There's no R's. Wake you up in the middle of the night. Yes, Satan organized. Yeah, none of that. There are no matching letters. All right, so that is a wrap on Satanism. Oh, damn. Next up, cannibalism. Excuse me? So, from Snopes, Hotel California was the name of an inn run by cannibals who were in the habit of taking in guests only to serve them up for dinner. The song's closing line, you can check out at any time, but you can never leave, seems to have sparked this theory. Okay, Um, so that's the theory. Cannibalism. And then, so what I tried to do is just find random people on the internet talking about these theories. So yeah, from the I'm, Alex, I'm, I'm like scrolling through my the lyrics in my head, trying to think of any cannibalism references. Well, I got one here from the Alex Laird blog. Great. Apparently, the references to a secluded hotel with corridors and hallways that were an endless maze that entrapped anyone who entered reminded too many people of H. H. Holmes and the Murder Castle. I guess he didn't LOL. eat his guests. But his story probably set people up for paranoia. One theory that got spread around via chain mail muses that the reason you can check out at any time you like, but you can never leave, is because the only way to truly leave is to be stabbed by those steely knives. Apparently, the hotel in the distance enticed you only to serve you up for dinner the following day. Okay, but H.H. Holmes didn't do that. Didn't do that. They didn't I don't do under- that. No. So, like, what? He wrote, he didn't eat his guests, but his story set people up for paranoia. Okay, but that's like, that's like, okay. 
That doesn't make any sense. No. There's n- really no connective thread there. This song is about skiing because Michael Jordan at one point lived <laughs> in California. <laughs> and he, even though he wasn't a skier, you know, you think about Olympic sports. When you think Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Next theory. Mental hospital. Okay. You can check out anytime you like because you can never leave. So that that to me is like the twist endings that we used to do in movies in like the late 90s and early 2000s where it's like you think you're in a hotel, but you're actually in a mental institution. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm going to read from Medium. If you ever take a trip to Southern California, drive up the Pacific Coast Highway, parentheses, PCH. Great. I want to <laughs> <I wanna D-I-E. laughs> And head inland to Lynn Road. After the beautiful coastal views, you'll encounter farmland and soon an encampment of Spanish mission-style buildings appears mm-hmm. on your left. That's California mm-hmm. State University Channel Islands, formerly Camarillo Mental Hospital. And though it might be an apocryphal story, the inspiration for the Eagle song, Hotel California. Camarillo State Mental Hospital was built in 1936. It housed thousands of mentally ill patients. The rumor is that shock treatment and other inhumane practices were employed by the psychiatric doctors and staff. As the years went by, compassionate care and scientific advances eradicated these inhumane types of treatments. The hospital ceased operations in 1997. The building is said to be haunted. Witnesses describe all kinds of eerie stories and weird happenings. Some reports involve apparitions, moving objects, voices, headaches, nausea, dizziness, and fatigue. Filmmakers who used the site for sets noticed cold spots, missing objects, windows slamming, and strange knocking. So it's, so it's a mental institution and Satan again. <laughs> yes. Now the building is used by California State University Channel Islands and students swear that it's still haunted. The hospital is rumored to be the Eagles' inspiration for the classic rock song, Hotel California. No, However, Glenn Fry and Don nonsense. Henley denied this in the documentary, <laughs> History of the Eagles. So this, so this is a good example of like the way that journalism can can make you think the opposite of the thing that is true. It's not that it's not that it's untrue. It's that they denied it. The group denied it, and the group and denied they're it. Explain away why. It's possible that the site did inspire the Eagles, but concerns over retaining the Hotel California trademark led their lawyers to recommend uh, so the band members deny it. Trademark thing. Not like a, I want to <laughs> I want to cover up the mental inst- the, the cannibalistic satan dwelling man- <laughs> mental institution. It's like, oh, we don't want to we don't want a lawsuit on our hands. Correct. If you look at the cover of the 1976 Hotel California album Which we did. and the skyline of the Cal State Channel Islands campus, the similarity is Shut undeniable. The fuck up. And of course, the song lyrics could be about the story of someone becoming a patient at the Camarillo Mental Hospital, a place where ghosts and demons roam, a hotel from where patients can check out, but they can never leave. Okay. This is kind of reminding me of The Shining, though. Yeah, a little bit, which came out in 1980. So The Shining is based on Hotel California. Mm-hmm. Because very famously, the snowy... <laughs> The snowy Overlook Hotel was uh, in California and not Colorado, where you live. Desert. Yeah, yeah. De- well, deserts can be snowy. Like, the, the Antarctica is a desert. Yeah, the snow desert. The dark snow desert, snow desert highway. Mm-hmm. 
cool it's a cool wind <laughs> right <laughs> in his hair okay so the eagles band members have said in interviews that the true meaning behind hotel california is a commentary on hedonism and self-indulgence of america an allegory about the lifestyle the musicians enjoyed in the 70s i also don't believe i think this is also bullshit well this is just the bullshit day of bullshit theories Okay, so they think they were they were like, ah, yes, Hotel California is a metaphor for the overindulgence of rock groups mm-hmm. and a yes. critique, yes, of the rock and roll lifestyle they were living. So I, I I have to think that there's probably some truth to that, which is like they probably were talking about the rock and roll lifestyle, though I don't think they were like critiquing it. I think they're just like, isn't this cool? Yeah, so it's their interpretation of the high life in Los Angeles. In a 2013 documentary, The History of the Eagles, Henley said that the song was about a journey from innocence to experience. That's all. It's basically a song about the dark underbelly of the American dream and about excess in America, which is something we knew a lot about, Henley said in a 2002 interview with 60 Minutes. Well, speaking of excess, Henley insisted on having a king-size bed and mattress available at all times while touring and the crew had to drag this around everywhere during the hotel california tour quote the tour seamstress made a special cover for it with handles to make it easier to pack it in the truck every night it was don's bed it went everywhere joe barry told mark elliott in to the limit the untold story of the eagles according to barry the mattress never once got used because no hotel would allow us to bring it in (laughs) byom what but okay that's ridiculous i mean i believe that it happened but like why would you bring your own mattress at a hotel for at to a hotel he said he had back problems and the mattresses were terrible okay (laughs) i i just assumed it was to have sex with groupies well whatever it was it didn't work because they never let him bring it inside so after like the second try, wouldn't you be like, all right, fuck this bed. Let's stop dragging it around. <laughs> uh, in 2005, Henley spoke to Rolling Stone, which had just placed Hotel California at number 49 on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Uh, so they asked him about the meaning of the song. He says, we were all middle class kids from the Midwest. Hotel California was our interpretation of the high life. Mm-hmm. And then um, the concept had to do with taking a look at all the band had gone through personally and professionally while it was still happening. Henley told Mark Elliott, we were getting an extensive education in life, in love, in business. Beverly Hills was still a mythical place to us. In that sense, it became something of a symbol and the hotel, the locus of it, of all that L.A. had come to mean for us. In a sentence, I'd sum it up as the end of innocence round one. You know what? I buy it. I do buy this. An end of the innocence. That's a Don Henley song, correct? Is it? This is the end of the innocence. I think you just made that up. So it was like a prequel to this other Don Henley song. I guess. I guess. Okay, but I but I believe it, right? That they're like they're like, um, you know that song, uh, "Turn the Page." I think the the Bob Seger song where. He talks about like being on the road on a lonesome high. So, so this is from 73 and it starts the same way on a long and lonesome highway east of Omaha. You can listen to the engines moaning out his one note song 
yada, yada, yada. Here I am on the road again, up on the stage, playing star again, turn the page. You know the song? It, Metallica covered it in the 90s. Maybe but if, if you were if, singing if, it. If I'm singing it? Maybe if you would sing it, I could know if I knew it, but. Here I am on the road again. There I go up on stage. We're super, we're, we're lost. <laughs> we're lost in the sauce. But, but this is about being on tour and being just like so fucking tired and burnt out. You smoke the day's last cigarette, yada, yada, yada. But uh, this, I like, I can understand how Hotel California comes from a weary roads, could, could come from like a weary song about being on the road, like this Bob Seger song, which came out three years previous. I'm starting to believe him. <laughs> so Felder told Music Radar, nobody in the band was from California. Bernie was originally from San Diego, but he wasn't in the band at that point. So everybody had driven into Los Angeles on what used to be Route 66. And as you drive in through the desert at night, you can see the glow of L.A. from 100 miles away. The closer and closer you get, you start seeing all of these images and these things pounded into our heads. The stars on Hollywood Boulevard, movie stars, palm trees, beaches and girls in bikinis. Fry told NBC's Bob Costas that he and Henley wanted to write us. The sports guy? Bob and me do not go way back. Bob Costas does like basketball announcing. All right. Well, he talked to Fry and Fry said that him and Henley wanted to write a song that was sort of like an episode of The Twilight Zone. Sure. Yeah. All of our songs were cinematic, but we wanted to open up with a montage. It was just one shot to the next. A picture of a guy on the highway. A picture of the hotel. The guy walks in. The door opens. Strange people. We take this guy and make him like a character in The Magus, where... Every time he walks through a door, there's a new version of reality. We decided to create something strange just to see if we could do it. And then a lot was read into it, a lot more than probably exists. I think we achieved perfect ambiguity. I buy that too. It, I do get the, I do, you know, you can check out anytime you like and you can never leave as the last line of this song feels very Twilight Zoney, right? We hear, mm-hmm. But that's also like, there's a very famous uh twilight zone episode of like to serve human where it's like someone thinks that they're going to be eaten alive so it's like it it all fits into these like half half brain theories to begin with right the twist Mm -hmm. being that they're cannibals or aliens or or satanists or it's you're in a mental institution that all feels very twilight zoney to me anyway right and then bringing the magus into it do you know that book no, I was just, I just assumed you pronounced something wrong. What is the Magus? <laughs> so this is a 1965 novel and the inspiration for David Fincher's 1997 film, The Game, starring Michael Douglas okay. and Sean Penn. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. I have not. You have not. It is the one David Fincher movie that I haven't seen. Well, I watched it last night. I, I've heard it's good. I heard it's like kind of a mind fuck. So this is from American Songwriter. A depressive yet eager young wanderer with nothing finds himself charmed by a wealthy Greek recluse whose power of splendor and decadence end up detaching the young man from reality as he knows it, resulting in tragedy and loss. Cool. Going from sincere idealism and earnest curiosity to a sense of darkness and despondence. Like coming of age and the loss of innocence, or the sparkling allure of Golden Age California's dashing but dangerous lifestyle, or, or cash and drugs. 
the energetically revolutionary but eventually fleeting spirit of the 1960s and maybe even the entire American experience. Who said this? Is this about the Magus or is this about Hotel California? This is American songwriter talking about both. Explaining what the Magus is and relating it back to Hotel California. I'm, I'm with you. According to Rolling Stone... The song's cinematic quality drew the attention of Julia Phillips, who had made history in 1974 by becoming the first female producer to win an Academy Award for the Paul Newman and Robert Redford caper, The Sting. Okay, so it took until 1974 for a woman to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. Like, the the Producer's Award is Best Picture. Okay. So... It took until 1974 for that to happen. So, like, 50 years of Oscars. Yeah. Surprised it didn't take longer. I'm just, I, me too, <laughs> kind of. But, like, like, just like fucking listen, like, just fucking listen to that, people. I know. Fucking nonces. Yep. So, uh, a string of blockbusters followed, including Taxi Driver and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I do not care for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I never saw it. It's okay. It's not one. It's not top tier Spielberg for me, which I know people will uh, kind of balk at. But I know a lot of people who love it. I should watch it. Okay, so by the end of the decade, she'd set her sights on adapting the Eagles Hotel California into a movie. Uh huh. Jesus. Okay. So an initial meeting with Eagles manager Irving Azoff. Sure. Who ironically sounds like a sounds like a manager's name. The band referred to him as Satan. You know, ooh, this could be heaven <laughs> or this could be hell. <laughs> so that initial meeting led to a tentative pre-development deal, but relations became frosty when she quizzed him on the particulars of the song's copyright lawsuit that the band initiated against their former manager David Geffen and Warner Brothers Records. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> so David Geffen, the David Geffen, used to manage the Eagles. Yep. And there was a copyright lawsuit? Yeah. So I had read about um, a copyright lawsuit in which they were the Eagles sued like a Mexican hotel for using Hotel California. Hilarious. But I don't think this is that. I don't think so either. The Eagles sued David Geffen, WB Music. The Eagles have filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit against Warner Brothers Music, David Geffen, Companion Music, and Benchmark Music. The complaint alleges that Companion and Benchmark are either Geffen's sole proprietorships or entities substantially controlled by Geffen. The suit is being brought by four members of the present group, Don Felder, Glenn Fry, Don Henley, and Randy Meisner, along with a former member, Bernie Leiden, Leiden. The complaint charges the defendants with violating the Eagles' rights under the Sherman Antitrust Act. Additional counts charge the defendants with breaching fiduciary duties owed to the Eagles, with violating certain contractual rights owed to the Eagles, with slander against Warner Brothers, and with the breach of certain duties of good faith and fair dealing owed the Eagles by Warner Brothers. So it sounds like Warner owed them money. The Eagles talked shit. And so Warner's like, well, right now we're really not giving you money. The plaintiffs also, under Geffen's guidance, entered into songwriting and participation agreements in which they granted and assigned their rights to all musical compositions to companion music. The writing and participation agreements were executed as on transaction. 
Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. So artists, listen to our show. We have said this so many fucking times. Do not sign your publishing away. <laughs> this is literally like somebody um, took a photocopy or like scanned in a piece of the newspaper that they cut out. <laughs> this is what I'm reading. Yeah, so it seems like the the Eagles record contract stated that all of their all of their writings were owned by whatever this record label was and that A should be fucking illegal and B is like a tale as old as time in right. the music industry of like a young band getting signed and signing away all of their fucking shit. Just don't do it. Read the fine print. Read the fine print. I thought you were my lawyer. um um back to rolling stone recounting the meeting with julia phillips okay okay so julia phillips in the late 70s wants to do a movie and then this this copyright suit with the record label scares her off scares her but she goes ahead with the meeting so henley and fry accompanied azoff to the next meeting by which all accounts according to Rolling Stone, was unpleasant. Quote, quote Rolling Stone, in her infamous tell-all memoir, you'll never eat lunch in this town again. Okay, please halt. The world is using the word infamous incorrectly. Infamous. Infamous means it's famous for a negative thing, like notorious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But why, why, why are people using this wrong? I don't know. Okay. I, I, it's not, it's, do you know, you've ever seen the movie The Three Amigos? Yeah, it's infamous. It's infamous. <laughs> um, okay, so in her infamous tell all memoir, you'll never eat lunch in this town again. I mean, maybe it was infamous. Phillips portrayed the rock stars as arrogant and difficult with a weakness for white powder. However, <laughs> Henley disputes this description in To the Limit. Quote Henley. Glenn and I remember that day quite vividly. We had gone to her house reluctantly. We sat there polite, but not terribly friendly. We were too weary to be friendly. In an effort to loosen us up and to create some kind of camaraderie, she dragged us. She dragged out this huge ashtray filled with a mound of coke. She offered us some, and we said no. We didn't know her that well, and it was a business meeting. It was a little early in the day for us. She looked nonplussed at that. At least, uh, at least... They use the term nonplussed properly. <laughs> um, I would say their ghostwriter or their editor might have had a little hand in that. Sure. So, so at this point, we're just arguing over who like brought coke out the coke. More. Yeah, brought out the cocaine. <laughs> Great. Love, love this. So yeah, that was a non-starter. That movie was DOA. It's weird that the fucking it wasn't the the. Lit the litigious nature of david geffen it was just like you like coke more than i do this movie's off <laughs> yeah. i would say there was probably a mounting amount of fear growing for her with this band i mean sure they th- these are the people that didn't go to the grammys because they didn't want to lose or they didn't want to sell out and be competitive and yada 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 either way it sounded like they had an attitude Sure. All right. So what about Steely Dan? What about Steely Dan? Steely Dan is a band I I never really uh, got into, but I know I'm like getting to the age where I need to make loving Steely Dan my entire personality. (laughs) 
it's funny because I really do love Steely Dan, but it's because I grew up with it. My dad always played it. And my dad also really likes Steely Dan. <laughs> so like when I have like a party, like a holiday party, like Thanksgiving, when I used to host, I would like put on Steely Dan and be like, I'm an adult now. This is what this is my life. Yeah, old old dudes <laughs> listen to Steely Dan. So, um, the band has confirmed that their the the Steely Knives line was a allegedly playful jab at Steely Dan. They stab it with their Steely Knives, but they just can't kill the beast. Fry told Joe Benson on the Ultimate Classic Rock Nights radio show. Quote, one of the things that impressed us about Steely Dan was that they would say anything in their songs and it didn't have to necessarily make sense. They called it joke sculpture, joke sculpture. We were sort of trying to expand our lyrical horizons and just take on something in the realm of the bizarre as Steely Dan had done. Fry wrote in the line. So it doesn't doesn't sound like they they did uh, any. uh, Like feuding. It wasn't like mean. No. Yeah. Unless it was somehow. And then now they're like, no, we're making nice. We're friends. But I I found no evidence of that. Um, Fry wrote in the liner notes. Keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. (laughs) The very best of that they alluded to the. Oh, okay. So Steely Dan alluded to. The Eagles in their song, Everything You Did, with the line, turn up the Eagles, the neighbors are listening. So they were like paying the favor back. And Yeah, it doesn't sound like, it sounds even nicer than like, I hope Neil Young can remember Southern men don't leave <laughs> right. him around anyhow. Which was like a, that was like an honor, like they weren't mad at Neil, they loved Neil Young, but they were just like giving him kind of a shout out. They were? It did sound like a diss. Yeah, yeah, they didn't, it does sound like a diss, but... It's it wasn't supposed to, according to the only remaining members of the band, uh, it wasn't a, like an actual diss. Sweet Home Alabama episode, maybe. That means right. I have to listen to Leonard Skinner, which I don't want to do. Or Kid Rock. Great. Well, uh, listen, to Sweet Home Alabama all summer long. <laughs> yep. That song. Yep. Oh Jesus. So, okay, the Eagles broke up in 1980. Mhm. And as fate would have it, Fry blamed Hotel California for their demise. After its success, the band found themselves creatively paralyzed, obsessing for years over their next album, which was The Long Run. The Long Run was originally supposed to be a double album, but they couldn't come up with enough songs. So why do you need to make it a double album then? Well, they didn't. That, f- <laughs> that feels like putting a, the cart before the horse there, buddy. Yeah, I guess they just had ambitions. Our next album is going to be so awesome, it's going to be two albums. Yeah. Nope. And it took 18 months to record it. And Randy Fuck Meisner yeah. had left the band already and been replaced with Timothy B. Schmidt. So I was correct earlier when we were looking at the list. Timothy mm. replaced Randy. So... The Long Run was the last studio album they'd record until 2007's Long Road Out of Eden. Quote Fry, it had stopped being fun. We no longer trusted each other's instincts, so there was considerable disagreement. Plus, both Henley and I had developed drug habits, which didn't help. Going to the studio was like going to school. I simply didn't want to go. But most importantly, during the making of The Long Run, Henley and I found out that lyrics are not a replenishable source. We, Don in particular, said a mouthful on Hotel California, and a big part of the problem was, what do we talk about now? Towards the end, we just wanted to get the record finished and release it. 
it is a very polished album. And well, it should be after all that and has some excellent moments, but none of us wanted to go through that again. I I feel like he's not quite making a connection that needs to be made, which is like, I had a pretty intense drug problem, didn't want to do anything and like couldn't think of anything to say, maybe because I was fucked up the whole time. (laughs) Right. Um, And then also there's the fact that Felder and Fry reached a boiling point during a 1980 benefit show in support of California Senator Alan Cranston. According to Fry, this is a really weird, in my opinion, weird story. Fry said that Cranston went backstage before the concert to thank the band and Felder responded, you're welcome, Senator, I guess. So then a huge fight breaks out backstage with screaming and beer bottle smashing. Because Felder was rude? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Quote Fry, I felt Don Felder insulted Senator Cranston under his breath and I confronted him with it. So now we're on stage and Felder looks back at me and says, only three more songs to like kick your ass, pal. We're out there singing best of my love. But inside, both of us are thinking as soon as it's over, I'm going to kill him. That's when I knew I had to get out. This is the fucking lamest <laughs> band breakup story I've ever heard. You were rude to the senator. Right? Like, who fucking cares? I'm going to kick your ass, buddy. How Listen dare up, pal. you? I'll meet, you, I'll meet you out in the parking lot. I'll give you what for. Mono e mano. So Henley. Jesus Christ. Henley later said that Fry was the glue of the band, a business-minded taskmaster who steered them toward commercial success. So once he was out, there was like no sticking power. Mm-hmm. He's a big sports fan, so he applied coaching principles to running this band, said Henley. He recognizes people's strengths and gets them to do what they do best. That's from the BBC. Um, so 14 years passed before they all made amends for the Hell Freezes Over tour. Yeah, so they said that they would get back together when Hell Freezes Over. Right. And so they called their live album Hell Freezes Over. Correct. Hotel California is still beloved today by people not named Aviv. Sure. And it's been covered by a long range of artists, the Gypsy Kings, the Killers, Frank Ocean. The Killers? Yep. So did you want to say something about the Gypsy Kings cover? No, just just that that was my first introduction to the song um, in The Big Lebowski. Okay. And I've seen the Gypsy Kings live. You have. Did they play Hotel California? When I worked at the House of Blues in Boston. I can't remember. Uh, You can't remember your teenage wet dream? I was at work. (laughs) I was was working at the House of Blues. They may have played it after I went home. Mm. Welp, one last bit of trivia for your day. Or a week. Or even your year. <laughs> this is coming at you from the BBC. When a U.S. spy plane made an emergency landing in China in 2001. Shut the fuck up. The crew members were asked to recite the lyrics to Hotel California to prove their nationality. Apparently, their Chinese captors considered that Hotel California symbolized America. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. So you would have passed. You would have been alive. I would have passed. <laughs> that that is that's a movie. That's yeah. the movie right there. Yeah. Is the spy plane goes down and the interrogators are like, "You're American." They're like, "100 percent." Recite the lyrics to Hotel California. Yep. Holy shit! Did they do it? Well, we gotta watch the movie to find out. 
I guess so. I just want to know if these people, these poor people died. Well, look it up. What are we going out on today? I don't know. What are we going out on this week? Well, this week we're going out on Jethro Tull's We Used to Know, because upon hearing Hotel California for the first time, Ian Anderson said he had a serious case of deja vu. Do you know what band I fucking love? A Jethro Tull. Jethro <laughs> I got kicked out of a high school class because of Jethro Tull once. Well, you're going to have to tell us why. Um, this is like a very stupid because jo- of a very stupid dad joke that I made. So in 11th grade. Oh, wow. This really sounds like Hotel California. Um, so in 11th grade. We were talking about early, you know, American history in Mr. Jacoby's class. I think I've told Mr. Jacoby stories before, but uh, he said the uh, the steam press, the steam drill, or whatever, was invented by a guy named Jethro Tull. And I raised my hand. I raised my hand and asked, "Did he also invent the aqua lung?" <laughs> because that's the name of a Jethro Tull song. And he sent me to the principal. Why? I don't know, because my joke was too fucking good. I take issue with this principal sending. Well, he turned out to be a Trump supporter. He's like a weird guy. I have a lot of Mr. Jacoby stories. He's the guy that I told the newspaper was a Nazi. Um, I I told you about this, right? I don't remember that. He won like a teacher of the year award. And so the newspaper, the local newspaper, came to interview his class. Be like, oh, Mr. Jacoby is such a great teacher. And... I was like, oh, yeah, Mr. Jacoby's great, except for that time that he came in ranting and raving about how the Holocaust never happened. And he like, I see him sprint full speed across the room being like, he's joking. He's joking. I never said that. He never said that. He never but said that. <laughs> he did turn out to be a Trump supporter. So I was right. Were you that far off? In the future. <laughs> yeah. Where can people find us on the Internet, Lindsay? Find us on the Internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. For longer and weirder stuff, hit us up, lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, go to lyricsforlunch.com and click support the show. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell. Wow, this fucking really sounds like Hotel California, even the solo. Yeah, so the Eagles toured with Jethro Tull in 1972. And which is part of the reason why they're convinced that they lifted elements of the song. Anderson even said, like, maybe it was just something they did subconsciously, but right. come on. This is this is aggressive. Notably, though, the tour took place two years before Felder, who, if you remember, was the song's primary composer, joined the band. And he denied ever hearing We Used to Know and claimed that he knew nothing about Jethro Tull other than that they had a flutist. Fuck. Well, what have we learned today? Listen to Jethro Tull and not the Eagles. (laughs) And tune in next week when we do this all over with a brand new song that also may have been may have been ripped off by from Jethro Tull. Probably not going to be brand new. Probably not going to be brand new. So until next time, I'm Lindsay Tucker. I'm Lindsay Rubenstein saying Satanism. Satanism. Satanism.